You know, the Christmas experience tends to become so much about the hustle and bustle that we forget to pause and look up. We miss the opportunity to experience Jesus and share the message of his great love for us. Well, today, Jen is going to remind us where our focus should be during this season and give us two easy things to help us refocus our attention. Here's Jen. Well, good morning. Good morning. You guys are stuck with me again. So if you were here last week, oh, well, that, you're very gracious. If you were here last week, Myron was supposed to be on, but he got the flu. And then he had to go to Costa Rica, and so he's back. You might see him here, but with all that going on, we just said, Jen, you're on for two. So he get me again. Um, I hope you're doing well. This is like uh, the final stretch here, everybody. I don't know about you, but I have been working hard over the last week to kind of get some things done. We did some baking yesterday. We've got some more baking to do today. I was telling people that if Mike Camden, who's allergic to walnuts, came into my house right now, he might die because it's a mess and there's dust everywhere. You know, I love the season. I love the the food, the cookies, the traditions, the decorations, the time with family. Love all that. But I have found as an adult, Christmas has a tendency to lose its luster. You know, you you have all the things that you've got to do. You know, I just just in cooking alone, just in baking the cookies, you got to buy all the supplies. You have to clean up beforehand. You got to then bake all the cookies. Then you have to clean up afterwards. That doesn't even include the decorating. And you do you realize you have to take away down all the fall decorations, clean, dust, vacuum. Then you put up the Christmas tree, which leaves flakes of things everywhere. So guess what you have to do again? Clean. Then you've got people who are coming, so you have to clean before they come, and then they leave, and there's crumbs everywhere, and then you have to clean again. I am not a fan of cleaning, but there's a whole lot of work that goes into Christmas. Now, when I shared this with the staff earlier in the week, Matt Parsons was like, I can't really relate to like that busyness. And, and I said, well, that's because you have somebody else in your life who's doing all that stuff for you. <laughs> yeah. So if you're one of those people in the audience, you need to like hug on someone and love someone today for all that they're doing for you to make Christmas what it is. But anyway, so there is a lot of work that goes into Christmas. And somehow, year after year, we build up Christmas and, and we want all, we kind of have this expectation of the, the season and the spirit and the magic of Christmas And every year, it doesn't quite meet our expectations. I will tell you, and some of you know this story, but I got engaged at Christmas time. And you would think that that was going to be the best Christmas ever. And it, it was pretty fantastic. You know, he, he, Brian asked me on the eve of Christmas Eve, under the glow of the white Christmas tree lights, it was lovely, it was romantic. I've been dreaming about that day for almost 30 years. And the next morning, getting ready for the day, wanting to show off my ring and tell everybody else about it at Christmas Eve services, I am sicker than a dog. I'm like, I'm going, I'm going. And so, you know, I, I push through and I, I get ready for the day. I stop at my mom's house first to show her the ring. And then I, I, I get in the car and I'm headed over to church and I'm getting sicker and sicker and sicker. Then I get to church and I tell everybody about the great thing that happened the night before. And then I'm like, I can't stay. I got to go. I can't stay. Well, I got down Bethany Pike till about Temple Shalom parking lot. And there I was very secretly glad that they were not celebrating Christmas Eve because I found a bush in the back parking lot so that I could then drive the rest of the way home. It did not meet the expectations. What could have been the perfect Christmas, not so much. 
And let's be honest, you know, holiday expectations are never fully met. The things we do at Christmas time, the family traditions, the decorating, the gift giving, were initially designed to help us worship the only one who could satisfy all of our expectations. But our culture has gone from worshiping Jesus at Christmas time to worshiping our Christmas experience. You know, we've got to see the light so that we can have the Christmas experience. We've got to go to Festival of Sound or Nutcracker or listen to Christmas carols or have the candles burning that smell like pine even though our tree is fake. Like we want to have the expectations fulfilled. We want the experience. And so Christmas, the Christmas experience, we've got to recognize will never satisfy because it wasn't meant to. It was meant to point us to the one who will satisfy. So the last two weeks, Julie and I have been talking about just the majesty of God, the glory of God coming down in the form of a baby, and just how beautiful and powerful that picture is for us at Christmas time. That the God of the universe confined himself into a vulnerable baby, and the glory of God came in the form of a man. And as we've been considering that and and thinking about the sacrifice God made to come and rescue us, I want us to respond to that today. I want us to think about how, at Christmas time, we need to position ourselves in lieu of all that we've just talked about over the last couple weeks of December. To put it in a nutshell, I believe the truth of Christmas should bring us to a place of great humility that we really need to have humble hearts as we think about how we celebrate Christmas. And as we read through the Christmas accounts, when you go through in the book of Luke and Matthew, those are the two accounts where they talk about um, Christ's birth, you'll see that every single person who's involved in the storyline of Christmas has a common response of humility as they interact with the baby Jesus. The first chapter of Luke actually has one of those detailed accounts, but it doesn't start with Mary and Joseph and the baby. Luke starts with another couple and their baby. He talks about a priest named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. They were good people, they lived rightly, but they were old, they had never been able to have children. And one day, Zechariah won basically the priestly lottery. At this time in history, um, they would... Uh, like have like a lottery system in order to figure out who would get to go into the Holy of Holies and burn incense during a certain period of time. And, you know, there were some priests who would never get the chance. There were like 20,000 priests who would be up for this opportunity every time it it happened. And Zechariah got picked. It was a big deal. So while he was in the temple and he was doing all that he needed to do, an angel appeared. And the angel said, Zechariah, you are going to have a son, and this son is going to be great in the sight of the Lord. And he is going to bring many back to God, and he is going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And Zechariah is shocked by this. And he kind of even questions the angel a little bit, like, ah, you know, really? Like, you know. And so he ends up, the, the angel makes him mute, so he can't speak. So he goes out, and, you know, after this extended time in the temple. He has to explain what has happened. So he kind of threw charades, explains what went on, goes home, and sure enough, Elizabeth becomes pregnant. Now think about this. Elizabeth has quite the story to tell. 
And because her husband can't talk, she's got all kinds of opportunity. But here, the, the angel has come, and he has said that they're going to have this baby, this special baby. They were chosen from God after all these years of being barren. And the angel said he's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. I mean, if there was Instagram and Facebook, she would have been posting. There was lots to talk about. And if you haven't read this part of the story, go back, Luke 1, it's, it's, it's in there. As the story continues, we learn that Elizabeth is the relative of Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so what happens is when Mary gets visited by the angel and the angel tells her that she's going to give birth to the Messiah and that, that the Holy Spirit is going to father this child and tells, you know, tells her all this stuff, she's also in shock. And the angel says to her, Listen, there's another miracle that's happening that will confirm this. Your cousin, who has never been able to have a child, she's pregnant. So, so Mary, in response to all this, it says in Luke 1.39, this is what she did. It said, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your, great, of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now, did you notice Elizabeth's humility? Remember, Elizabeth has quite a story to tell herself. She's old and barren and now pregnant. Her husband has seen an angel. The baby's going to be great in the sight of the Lord and prepare the way for the Messiah. Both Mary and Elizabeth had significant roles to play in the story of the Messiah, but Elizabeth goes straight to humbly recognizing who has the greater storyline. She even humbly asks, how could, you, how could I deserve to be visited by the mother of the Messiah? but her son is going to prepare the way for the Messiah. But she sees. She celebrates the coming Christmas with humility. Her heart was ready to celebrate because she wasn't thinking about herself. She humbly recognized the proper place of Jesus in her life. And then we see, of course, the humility in Mary. Mary is so humble in the way she responds to this whole thing. As she responds to Elizabeth, this is what she says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he was, has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. She goes straight to worship, straight to pointing to God, straight to praising him, and she humbly accepts this assignment this assignment that's going to really wreck everything that's going on in her life, or at least alter it significantly. One Bible commentary I read about Mary said this, God chose Mary for one of the most important acts of obedience he has ever demanded of anyone. Her obedience would lead to much pain. And then it goes on to talk about how the peers are going to ridicule her, her fiancé uh, potentially was going to leave her. That doesn't even talk about what happens 30 years later when she basically follows Jesus around during his ministry and is homeless kind of with him, and then she watches him die on the cross. Now, she didn't know all that was going to happen, but she knew the basic gist at the beginning that her obedience in this moment was going to cause hardship and pain, that if she accepted this assignment from the angel 
things would be different, but we don't see a concern for herself in this. We see her rejoicing over what God is about to do. She puts God's agenda before hers. This is humility. This is submission. This is surrendering her dreams and her plans for the future and putting Jesus first. Then there's Joseph. You know, Mary goes and she tells him that she's with child and he responds with planning to leave her. And then an angel shows up to him in a dream. And as soon as Joseph heard from God, he also chose the more difficult path with Mary. He chose to obey. In Matthew 1, it says, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. We see humility. He surrendered his own plans. He surrendered his own desires, and he put Jesus first. He obeys, even though he knows his reputation is going to be on the line, even though he knows that his life is going to have this incredible burden with it forever. But he still obeys. Then we read about the wise men in the east. They see the star in the sky, and we don't really know how they know, but some, some say that, that they, are, um, they kind of had kept some of the prophecies and things from Daniel long ago in the Old Testament, and they knew that this meant something pretty important and pretty profound, that the king of the Israelites was being born. And so they wanted to go. They wanted to follow that star and find him. And, and we, you know, the funny thing is, they probably weren't there. Most likely they were not there at the birth of Christ, even though we have our nice nativity sets and they're there, you know, down with the baby in the manger and the whole deal, and that looks really nice. But they probably came when Jesus was about a toddler. They saw the star in the sky probably around the time that Jesus was born, and then it would have taken a journey, a, a significant time to organize an entourage to go. We also think that there's, you know, we say often that there's three. We don't really know that there's three. There's all kinds of interesting stuff about the wise men. But it says this about them in Matthew 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, they stopped at King Herod's house on their way, which was really not a great move, which we find out later, but they didn't know. And then they finally find Jesus. And it says in verse 10, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Again, people humbling themselves. They, they, ultimately, they give him very expensive gifts, so honoring him with something expensive, something that would require a sacrifice for them, honoring him, putting, putting him before their own agendas. This would have taken a substantially long time for them to journey that way and come back. And then we see the shepherds. You know, two weeks ago, Julie talked about how the shepherds were in their fields at night and they were watching their flocks, and then all of a sudden in the sky... There's angels, multitudes of angels sing, or I don't, I don't think they're singing, but they talk about how the Messiah will be born and how, how they could actually go and see him. And so the story picks up in, in verse 15 of Luke. It says, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. 
So they leave their flocks at, 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 you know, at substantial risk, I would think. This is how they make their money. And they made Jesus the priority. They humbly respond and do what God told them to do, even if it's inconvenient, even if it was risky. And they humbled themselves before the King of Kings. Even if we don't intend for it to happen, the natural pull in our culture at Christmas time is not about honoring Jesus. It really, if we're honest, has become about chasing after a satisfaction found in the experience of Christmas. We worship our feelings at Christmas. Now, this has nothing to do with putting Jesus first and everything to do with putting ourselves first. But this is not unusual. This is nothing new under the sun. This is a human tendency that we struggle with all year long, but it just kind of gets amped up in this holiday season. You know, I talked about it last week. We tend to just naturally, human sinful nature, tend to elevate ourselves. And we prioritize our own experiences and our own feelings. But if we really want to enjoy Christmas and the holiday to the fullest, honoring Jesus must be our aim. Not just at Christmas time, but all the time. Jesus takes first place. You know, Elizabeth's story was incredible, but she knew whose story was to be prioritized. Mary and Joseph, they had dreams, I'm sure, and they set them aside and put Jesus first. The wise men, I'm sure, had plans for the next several months. They stopped whatever they were doing and they traveled to another land to bring expensive gifts to Jesus. And then the shepherds, they put their plans aside as well. And then they spent time telling other people about the good news that they heard. They put themselves, all of them, their own needs, their own priorities, their own reputations on the back burner, and they humbled themselves before the king of kings. Now, the profound picture of this that I don't want us to ever lose is that they humbled themselves to a king who already humbled himself for them. They humbled themselves before a God who chose to humble himself first. We talked about this last week, but it's worth repeating the one who was being glorified by all of their worship, the one who was exalted by the angels, this infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing creator willingly came to earth, confined himself inside the flesh of a newborn baby, and humbled himself in order to rescue us. Our God did not distance himself from us even though we were filthy in our own sin. He did not leave us here to fend for ourselves, but he was born so that he could die. He humbled himself to the point of allowing his own creation to crucify him. And this is why we celebrate Christmas. It's to remember that God came to us, chased after us, loved us so much to save us. Traditions are great. The decorations are great. The gift-giving, the eating, the celebrating, it's all good. God doesn't want us to not celebrate. He wants us to celebrate. I mean, you know, despite what lots of people say, God likes a really good party. In the Old Testament, all over the place, he tells them, celebrate, have banquets, eat. You know, in heaven, we're going to be celebrating with a huge banquet, the best party that's ever been had. He wants us to celebrate because it's worth celebrating. It deserves being celebrated. But the celebration alone is not meant to satisfy the deep longings in our heart. 
Humbly putting Jesus first is what fills our deepest longings. He is the one who satisfies our soul. So, knowing all of this, how do we then practically live this out in 2022? How do we celebrate Christmas? But more importantly, how do we really live out our lives in such a way all year round that we are responding humbly to what God has done for us? I read a story on a blog once where a son was talking to his mom about Christmas, and he said, well, what does Jesus get on his birthday? You know, we all get gifts, but what does Jesus get? And do you know what I believe he wants for his birthday? More than anything, Jesus wants a relationship with those he created. So I've narrowed down two action steps for us this morning to kind of our way to humbly respond to what God has done for us. And those two things are to look up and look around. What I mean by looking up is to position yourself in such a way that God is always above you. To position yourself in such a way that you are always looking up to see what he wants you to do, how he wants you to live. To make your life, your entire life, not just Christmas, a worshipful response to him. You know, just like I covered with all the Christmas accounts that we've read already, they responded in humility and worship, and ultimately it took the form of obedience. We are to respond that way as well. We are to acknowledge that he gets to be the one directing our lives, our plans, our priorities, our time. And so at Christmas time specifically, we can evaluate how are we celebrating is how I behave at the office party with my coworkers at Christmas honoring to God? Is the way I treat my extended family members honoring to God? Are the gifts I'm purchasing at Christmas honoring to God? Do the activities around the holidays point me to God or distract me from God? Are they about me and my experience or are they about God? And these same questions can be asked for the rest of the year. You know, you can tweak it just a bit, but does my social life honor God? Do I treat my family in a way that honors God? Do I spend my money in a way that glorifies God? Do I get so focused on myself that I no longer look up to see what God wants and I just live however I want to choose? This idea of looking up honestly is loving God and obeying him. The response of all those people we've read about was worship and obedience. Make Jesus first, always. That's how we look up. His goals are our goals. His priorities are priorities. His perspective are perspective. His values are values. And in order for that to happen, you have to know him. You have to spend time with him. You have to read his word. You have to listen for him. You have to communicate. You have to make there enough, make for enough quiet in your life that you might hear him. Secondly, we need to look around. Jesus wants a relationship with you, but he also longs for a relationship with those who are far from him. You know, he came into the world to reconnect the entire human race with God. You think about the shepherds who came. From Jesus' first breath, 
God was inviting people into the story to know him and to know what was going on. Jesus wasn't going to reveal who he was for another 30 years, but the, the shepherds got the inside scoop. They got to know ahead of time. The lowliest of lowly people in the history of Israel, the shepherds were just treated with such disregard at this point in time. But God didn't forget about them. He wanted them to know there was a savior. There was someone coming to rescue them. And then you think of the magi. God didn't have to put the star in the sky. He didn't have to tell these people about Jesus. He didn't have to let them know. These men were not Jewish. They, they weren't, wouldn't have been considered God's kind of people. But God invited them anyway. Interestingly, too, by inviting the wise men, God put the baby Jesus at risk. Because they came, and they came by way of Herod, and Herod, Herod was crazy. Herod killed his own, um, his own sons because he was afraid they were going to take over the, you know, his throne. The, it, the, there was a phrase at the time that said, Your, Herod's pig is safer than his mother, because he just was crazy. And then he ends up killing a bunch of, of, of babies, and Mary and Joseph end up having to flee and go to Egypt. I mean, he put the whole thing at risk because he invited the Magi, but he still invited them. He still invited them. And 2,000 years later, he is inviting us into the story. But he's also inviting into the story every other person you see on the street or at work or in school. But do they know they're invited? Not only do they know that, that they're welcome, like do they know that God longs for them? I can't tell you. After working at a church for 20 years, and some of you in this, in this congregation have said this to me, when I first came to church, I thought the walls would fall in, thought I needed to bring a hard hat. I can't tell you how many people have said that to me. And people literally think, God doesn't want me there. God longs for them, longs for them. And what happens when we elevate ourselves as good little Christians, God chose us, and we can forget. And so we've got to humble ourselves and remember God's heart is for all of them too. Loves them and longs for them. Some of you may be here today and you're like, I'm not necessarily on the whole team here. Like, you're talking about them out there. Well, them out there is in here. God longs for you to know him. He loves you. He sent Jesus to die for you. You know, most of us in this room, we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And, you know, we've celebrated Advent. I've been talking, I talked last week about what Advent is, how it's a celebration of the fact that Jesus came, but it's also the acknowledgement and celebration that he's coming again. And the truth is, when he comes back, he's coming back as king and as judge. There are no second chances. And if we really believe this and acknowledge this, when we look around at all the people who don't know him, do we think about that? And even if we don't think about that, even if Jesus doesn't come back for another thousand years, we all know in the back of our minds that we're all dying and that everybody we see every single day are going to die. But statistics show that 90% of Christians don't share their faith. And actually, there's a growing number of Christians who believe it's actually unacceptable and not good to share your faith. So I shouldn't assume you aren't sharing your faith. But if you are not sharing your faith, 
And even if you are, let me challenge us a little bit in this area to wake us up from the complacency. I could list a ton of reasons and probably not hit them all as to why we don't share our faith. You know, maybe it's awkward. Maybe it would be, we would feel like we, we don't want to offend anyone. Maybe it's uncomfortable. Maybe we're too busy. Maybe we, we feel like we would mess up or we feel like we wouldn't know exactly what to say. I think, though, that all of the reasons can be narrowed down to us elevating our feelings over what we should do. We don't want to be uncomfortable. It isn't, com- uncom- it isn't comfortable to adjust our schedule to potentially have an in-depth conversation with someone. It isn't comfortable for people to potentially think we're weird or reject us. It isn't comfortable to have coworkers or family members talk behind our backs. It isn't comfortable to have to figure out what exactly would I say? How would I say it? What, 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 do, I, what do I say? We don't want to experience discomfort because remember, we have this tendency to elevate our experience. I would venture to say, I think I've said this before, so I'm going to be a broken record. I think the enemy's biggest weapon against us is our worship of comfort. When God sent Jesus to save his creation, it wasn't comfortable. And it was risky. It wasn't comfortable or safe for those who surrendered their lives to Jesus and his plan at Christmas time. The shepherds risked their flocks. The magi risked their safety. Traveling in those days was very risky, and none of it was comfortable. Mary and Joseph were not comfortable or safe. Remember, they had to flee to Egypt. Having had three births, let me also say, that it is very unlikely that Mary was all excited about strange men coming to see what had gone on. You know, I mean, think about it. That's like a mom's worst birth story idea. You, you, You have a baby in a not private, unfamiliar, probably not very clean place, and then randomly men show up to just check on what's happening. (laughs) Not comfortable. Inviting others was risky. Risky to Jesus as a vulnerable baby. But it was worth the risk, and it was worth the discomfort. And the people who you work with, and the people who you see at Walmart, or the the extended family members who drive you nuts at Christmas, God says they're worth it. They're worth it. You know, you could argue that God didn't invite the shepherds and the wise men for their sake alone. That he, that he, he invited them because Jesus deserved someone to worship him in the moment. The creator of all things confined himself into his creation. He deserves worship. He deserves honor. He deserves praise. And maybe they weren't just invited for their own sakes, but maybe God invited them to honor Christ in what he did. That his entrance into the story of humanity deserved to be seen. It deserved attention. And isn't it true now? You know, we talk about the lost and eating Jesus, and they do. We talk about how they they desperately would, would, well, God desperately longs for them, but that they need hope. 
They need to know that they were, they were put on earth for a reason and a purpose. All this is true. But isn't it also true that God deserves them to come to him? He deserves their worship. He doesn't need it, but he deserves it. When we invite others to encounter him, two different things are made right. Those who are lost find the direction that they need, hopefully. And the God of the universe, who gave up everything for his creation, gets the worship due him. He gets the one thing that he came as a baby to get, a relationship with his creation. You know, after the shepherds had seen the baby, Luke says that they spread the word. They couldn't help but spread the word. The Savior had come. He's going to rescue us. He hasn't left us alone. He sees us. He has a plan. And this is still true now. Despite the darkness in our world, despite the news, despite our sadness over our country and the state of the world, God has not left us and he's coming again. He's not abandoned us, even though we're sitting in the muck of sin. God's light has come into the darkness. And we know this. In 2 Corinthians, it says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Those of us who've been changed by the love of Christ, we are called to be God's ambassadors. We are called to be his representatives. We are called to, to bring his light. And we should be compelled to spread that. But we get comfortable, we get complacent, we get desensitized. And we forget what it feels like to not have that hope. To not know that we're valued by God. To not know that we were put here for a reason and a purpose. There are people walking around that literally think they're just happenstance out of the muck of primordial soup. That their life means nothing. I know for me what happens. And I would probably guess that some of you feel this way too. With all the vitriol, with all the negativity towards people who have kind of a different view than the status quo, I have gotten to this place where I'm like in, and I'm like in ministry, and I've gotten to this place where I just kind of want to self-preserve. I just kind of want to hold up here with my kids and make sure they know what's going on. And, and, and then I just have become guarded. What has happened to me? What has happened to us? People are literally dying, not knowing that the God of the universe loves them so much that he willingly died on a cross for them. You know, you think about it, they're walking like in darkness, like a dark cave without a torch, but we have the torch. And even with that torch, even with the light of God, it is still hard in the darkness of this world. But we have access to the creator who can help us go to him, you know, with all of our fears and our doubts and our concerns. We know there's a rescue plan. And we forget that God came for not just us, but we need to humbly remember that he came for all those around us. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to make it a point at Christmas time to invite some people to Christmas. 
there was that prayer card in your program. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to join you in this process. We want you to pray and just kind of think real quick. I know prayer is not supposed to be real quick, whatever. Just ask God real quick. God, please help us to think of some people you want to invite. Maybe you've already invited them. That's fine. But write down names. It doesn't have to be five. It could be more than five. Write down the names of the people that you want to invite or that you feel prompted to, to kind of nudge, you know, and, and invite. And then what you're going to do is on the way out, you're going to put those in the buckets. There'll be people out um, in the lobby um, who will have the buckets for all the Connect cards. And I want you to put your cards in there. What we're going to do as a staff is we're going to put all those cards in a manila envelope. And that during this week, we are going to take time. I am for sure more than once, and I'm going to challenge the staff to do this more than once. We're going to have that manila envelope in a place where we're going to lay hands on that envelope and we are going to pray that as you go out, that the favor of the Lord would be on you, that he would be preparing their hearts ahead of time, that they would be waiting and willing and wanting the invitation. That, that God would give you the exact words to say, the opportunities to say it, and that he would move mountains for the people in your life. And here's the thing. At this time of year, your invitation is probably more powerful than any other time. And let me tell you why. You know how I said that we all want to have that Christmas experience. We all want to have the magic of Christmas and, and, and all that. So do they. And they may think, oh, going to church, singing Silent Night, Oh Holy Night, which both are on the set list, by the way. So excited. They may think, ah, oh, if I go to church, I might get that feeling. Let's use that. Because you know what? If they meet Jesus... They can find the true satisfaction forever. And Chris, Chris has planned a message that will be very gospel-oriented, that will share the truth in a very clear way. So let's do this. Let's not be the 90% who don't share our faith, and let's invite this week. There will be more invitations out in the lobby. I have plans to gift um, I'm going to put a little bag on my, you know, the garbage men on there. I'm going to put it on the garbage can and have a sign that says, you know, for the sanitation worker or whatever, so they know it's not garbage. I'm going to invite them. I'm going to invite my postal worker. I'm going to invite my teachers, you know, the teachers of my kids. I'm going to invite family members. Think about the people in your life who maybe you wouldn't normally think about. Ask God to show you who those people are. And if you don't write them on the, on the paper, that's okay. Still invite them. <laughs> like if you forget them and then you remember. Let's do that. Okay, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll spend one more song worshiping, okay? Father, I thank you so much for the gift of Christmas. I thank you that you want us to celebrate. I thank you that you invented cookies. Lord, thank you for icing and for Chex Mix and for all the good things that come with the celebrations. But Lord, let us not be distracted by those things. Let us remember it's about you. Lord, be glorified in how we celebrate this Christmas season. And Lord, be glorified with how we continue to look up and look around. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. 
If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.